you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 21. But before, as you're going to Matthew chapter 21, you sang Hallelujah, Thank You for the, for the Cross. It's a new song, I realize that. But something that you would say this morning, I just want to say Hallelujah, Thank You for the Cross. It's meant what to you? What does the cross mean to you as you sit here this morning? It's one thing for us to sing it, but what is it? Hallelujah, thank you for the cross. What does it mean to you? So it's love. What else? Salvation. What else? Peace with God. Forgiveness. New creation. Mercy. Yeah. Hope. Reconciliation. Okay? Sacrifice. Substitution. Eternal life. As you sit here this morning, hallelujah, thank you to the cross. And I don't want you to answer this, but what has changed in your life because of the cross? What has Christ done in you? And because of the cross, this is different about you. Yeah, we do have, you know, hope. I'm just thinking like, you know, where Christ has changed people that were bitter to people that were, you know, the glass isn't always half empty. They can forgive. Or a person that's angry now is like, you know what, it's not, I'm not so angry. And I can't explain it other than it's just Christ in me. He's done something in me. It's fun to to ponder those things. I just I'd encourage you this afternoon as you as you navigate your afternoon. Hallelujah! Thank you for the cross. What has that done in your life? What is that going to mean twenty years from now? I don't. You know, I was out at Camp Wingman, just watching these these little people interact and play ball and bounce on the bounce house and. You know, eat s'mores. I mean, you can watch little people try to put s'mores together, and, you know, the, the boys, are they're the cool ones. They're going to burn their s'more, and, you know, their, their marshmallows. Let's watch it, you know, let's just watch it burn. And, you know, but just interacting with them. God, what are you going to do in their lives? Yeah, they're 8 and 10 and 12 now, but what are they going to be one day because of the cross? What's their life going to be like because of you? Matthew chapter 21, as you uh, look there this morning, we're going to start in verse 18, but, you know, reminding that this is the, the passage of Scripture where you find Jesus in the, in the temple dumping over tables, saying this is a place that's supposed to be a place of prayer. You find also Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus is going to ride in on a colt as a servant, saying, Lord, Father, if this is what you want for my life, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll surrender to you. And now you're going to find him the day after in Matthew chapter 21 and, and in verse you know 18 and it's really kind of neat as you, as you go to this passage of Scripture, you might have some, some thoughts, but most of us probably haven't spent a whole lot of time after the triumphal entry of Christ. We kind of stop there. So we're going to carry on a little bit here this morning. Go to verse 18 in the morning. He was returning to the city. He became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he's, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, 
why did this tree wither at once? And Jesus answered him. I want you just to, to stop at that for a second. You have Jesus walking in, and I think that's a fig tree. I don't have a fig tree, but it kind of looked like one. It's what, you know, Internet said anyway, so we'll see what happens. But So you got Jesus walking into Jerusalem the day after. People shouted, Hosanna. He's in the turnover temple tables, and the place is supposed to be the place of worship. It's not that. So he walks in, and as he's going to Jerusalem, there's this tree there. And there's a lot of, you can talk about a lot of different things about the tree, and so I'm not going to go too far off into this. But it's interesting to me, the tree looks good, but there's no fruit. Is it a parallel of kind of what's going on in Israel at the time? You know, Passover, there's probably thousands of people gathering to celebrate, you know, the opportunity to bring their sacrificial lamb to that. And so it all looks good, but... When you really get close to Jerusalem, is it really good? Well, obviously it's not because the temple is not a place of worship. The people were shouting, Hosanna, yeah, save us now. It's time for us to no longer be the underdog. That's what we want. Go into Rome, kick them out, and let the Jews rule and reign. That's what we want. So as you start kind of looking around past the masses and really down inside of Jerusalem, it's empty. There's probably not a whole lot of people there saying, you know what, we're excited about this Messiah. We saw the Messiah. We saw forgiveness of our sin yesterday. That was all prophesied. For some reason, they missed all that. And so the perfect sacrificial lamb had shown up in Jerusalem, but they weren't ready. Oh, but it looked good. And so I was wondering, just wondering how many people gathered in a building in Highlands County look good, but there's not much fruit there. Oh, we, you know, we're, we're here, we're in church, but it's one thing to sing thank you to the cross, but where is the cross changing you? Where's the last time you saw God through the power of the Holy Spirit say, you know what? I'm going to take a spiritual growth step. I'm no longer going to be the victim. I'm no longer going to be the one that's, you know, always the one that's negative. I mean, it's just, as you look at this passage of Scripture, no fruit will ever come of you again. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, Why did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but to move mountains. But take up and throw it into the sea. It will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you receive it. If you have faith. Whoa. You know what's interesting about Faith, it's an action word. But do you find it interesting that Jesus puts faith and prayer together? I do. Because prayer means that you're asking somebody else for help. Prayer means you're going to the one who 
died on the cross, rose again, and say, I, I need to communicate with you. So it's interesting to me, probably the majority of us sitting in the building say, yeah, I've got faith, I went to church. But when was the last time we prayed? When was the last time we said to our Father, Father, I can't do this, but you can. So it's been a week since we've gathered last time. By the way, those of you that were in the choir, it was awesome to watch you sing. I enjoyed you worshiping. But since we left and it was Resurrection Sunday, how's your faith been? Where have you sat down with the Scriptures? And I kind of have a little acronym for faith. It's just something that helps me as an individual. I put faith as fully abiding in the Holy Scriptures. I realize that Scriptures is not part of it, but if you can give me a little bit of grace. How much of this is part of us? How much of this do we say, you know what? By faith, the Scripture says this, so I'm just going to accept that as part of my life. I want to read you a, just a, a couple verses out of a book that Paul wrote to a church in, in Philippi. And I, I think it's really kind of interesting that most of us don't really, oh, you probably could quote this verse, but it probably hasn't sunk into who you are as an individual. Let me just read you these words. Let me get there first. Philippians chapter 1. I thank God on my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you or, or making my... Or, uh, hold on a second. Always in a prayer for every one of mine that you all make my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you have accepted that you're in a growing process and spiritual maturity is not who you are right now sitting in your seat? That you're a work in progress? That you'll wake up tomorrow morning, men, and it doesn't matter what we, what's in our bank account or what task we have or what title we have, that will not matter to us, but we'll just say, you know what, we're a work in progress. That I'm confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Guys, if we're not walking in that, how do our sons walk in that? How do we not pass on to our, our sons that the fact, the biblical fact that Paul wrote to us in Philippians that he's not done with us yet, but yet we're walking around with this air of like, oh yeah, look at us, we've got it all together. And then you expect that out of your five-year-old. Or if you want to have some fun, I was down there, go to Sebring Fireman Baseball. It's happening this weekend. They're playing the city tournament. You know who will be fun to watch? Mom and Dad. I love it. They go bazonkers over Sebring 
baseball. It's like a cult thing down there. It's like crazy. I giggle at them. I'm just like, and we did it. So if your kids are in it, I'm not saying you're part of a cult, please. I'm not saying it's bad. They need to play baseball, right? Your kids need to be involved in sports. But you don't want to be really cool that the people on the outside of the fence would rest in the fact that God's working on you and give your kid a break. So what if he makes an error? Your retirement's not dependent on the shortstop at Sebring High School. I mean, or Max Long. I'm just, I'm pretty sure it's not. I mean, I know you would want to think about it. And we have some kids that play shortstop and they're good. Okay. And it's fun. But you believe that? That's what the scripture says. So will you take it by faith? See, that's would have been kind of like Jesus would have went up to that fig tree and said, oh yeah, there's faith here. I'll eat that fruit. Oh, there's hope here. I'll eat that fruit. So it just didn't look good as he walked in Jerusalem. Because you know what's going to happen? In about 40 years, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Kind of almost like Jesus is walking in the morning after saying, you know what, Jerusalem, you don't need me now. But by golly, in 40 years, when I wipe it all out, you'll come running. So it's interesting. you got faith. And, and I just, I really want to encourage you. That prayer is a good thing. And I've, Daniel, Daniel Henderson doesn't phrase it exactly like this, but this is where I kind of got it from. The person who doesn't pray is declaring that they do not need God. Now, I'm pretty sure if I would pass the microphone, is there anybody in this building that would like to declare publicly that they do not need God? is not going to stand up up in front of a microphone and say anything, but how many of us prayed this week? Knowing that our Father was listening, saying, I need some help. There's something else I want you to see. So go back to, if you're still in Matthew chapter 21, there's another little thing I want you to see here. It's called authority. Verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Seriously, the chief priests are going to come ask Jesus, who gave you authority? Now, just remember, it's not been a whole two, you know, he just turned over the tables in the temple. He just kicked out the money changers. He just healed the person in the temple. He just wrote in on a donkey. Are, are they really going to question Jesus' authority? And so, be careful here, because there are going to be individuals that are going ch- to challenge your authority, and you're going to let go on them. Well, I have this degree, I've been working for this long, I've traveled here, I've done all, whatever, whatever, whatever. Jesus asks a question, he does not respond to their immaturity. He asks them a question. Look at the question, it's really interesting. He says this to them. Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, 
why then do you not believe on him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So he doesn't get into confrontation with them. Now here it's going to get really fun. He's going to bait them in because they're so arrogant and because they're so proud and because they're so kind of like this fig tree that Jesus has just walked past. They look so good. He's going to bait them right into a conversation. And at the end of this conversation, you're going to see their response. But watch, he's going to tell them a story. So he's going to tell them a parable. After he asks a question, he's going to tell them a parable. Here we go. Verse 28, what do you think? It's always fun when you ask somebody what do they think because they always have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion about everything. Just ask them. They're going to tell you. So he's going to bait them right into this. A man had two sons, and he went to the first son. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of these two did the will of the Father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, think about it. I mean, these guys are going to be livid. I mean, he's, Jesus tells them back, Okay, so he's baited him in this story. I just want you to know, you guys that are standing here, the chief priests and the leaders, I want you to know something. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're going to the heaven. They've come to the realization that they need a Savior. And you guys who had all the information, all the, some of the Old Testament, you should have known. Guess what? You're not there. These guys were livid, so keep on going. It gets, it gets more fun. For John came to you, so he says to them, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But the tax collector and the prostitutes believed in him. And even though when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe in him. Have you changed your mind? Do you believe in him? See, this is, really, this is really a challenge to our, to our salvation thing. Even though I know you go to church, and even though I know you're here in America, it's really going to challenge, do I know Jesus? Is there a time that you can stop and say, in your history, however old you are, okay, I don't need date, time, hour, second, place, all that stuff, okay, but can you look back and say, I once was going in that direction, but now because of Christ, things are different. That you have historical evidence that you look back, for example, you're no longer as angry as you were before because of Christ in you, the power of the Holy Spirit. You live in less fear because you know who your father is and that he's never going to leave you or never going to forsake 
Can you look back and see historical accounts? God, this is what you've done in my life. And this, and this, and this. That is what I call fruit. I can see God producing something in my life that I cannot produce. See, the the chief priests were the essence of religion. Look at us. We're all together. And the people in their day that were least likely to choose the Messiah or that they would ever say, yeah, that person has an opportunity to go to heaven, Jesus looks these guys in the eyes and says, it's them. They've got it. Now, he's going to go on um, to this next one. Go down to verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of the house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went away to another country. When the season of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? All right, who's responding? The chief priests, the leaders, the ones that have come to Jesus and said, hey, by the way, what authority do you have? How do you do these things? Their response was, Grace and truth and hope and forgiveness and mercy. Was that their response? No. Kill him. Just kill him. That's what he says. They said to him, we will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to others and who will give him fruits of their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, Psalm 118, which is a psalm that they should have been aware of. So kind of in his, his little parable, kind of a little illustration, he says to them, well, didn't, oops, didn't John come? And you rejected him. Now other prophets have come, and you've rejected him. Now the chief priest, the, the leaders have an opportunity to recognize, oh my word, Psalm 8, 118, he's the Messiah. He's the cornerstone. He's the one. They don't need him. Even though they've read about him, they don't need him. And that's what's going to happen in 40 years will take place, people will have an opportunity right here as you look at this passage of Scripture to say, yes, we want this cornerstone. And in 40 years' time, their lives are going to be destroyed because they chose not to receive the cornerstone. So, what's the big deal? Why do I share this with you? The fig tree. 
it looked good for from from a distance, but when you get close, you don't see the fruit. Okay, so can I just, as we end our time together, I'm not asking you, if I go to Galatians chapter 5, I think one of the things that we've done wrong over the years is we've, we expect to produce fruit. And the more I keep thinking about this, Hap and I were talking about this the other day, I personally believe fruit is harvested, not produced. So love is something that is harvested through the power of the Holy Spirit, not produced in my strength. Gentleness is something that is harvested through the power of the Holy Spirit, not produced in me. We are so busy trying to produce things. So when was the last time that you paused and said, Father, would you help produce patience in my life? Long-suffering, gentleness. When was the last time you said, God, I need you to do something in my life that I cannot do? So that's one thing that I want you to think about. Here's another thing that I want you to think about. As you think about what, do, what role does faith and prayer pray, play in your lives? People who pray are ones who realize they need help. What did you ask God for help for? What did you pray about this week? That whatever, So let's, let's just do this. What, whatever you prayed, if this could happen, whatever you prayed about yesterday... Whatever you communicated with your father about yesterday were the only things that you had available today. Who would still be around and what would still be around? That's pretty convicting, isn't it? If only what I asked God or communicated with God about yesterday would be available to me today, what would that look like? Here's the last thing that I want you to to think about an authority and I know none of you like authority have you never read in the scriptures what is something that you've read in the scriptures that you're saying to God today I don't need to do that that's not for me that's for my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren or for my neighbor or for so and so and so and so and so and so basically you're saying that you will not submit to the authority of God that has been preserved for you. What has it been? And we all probably have one or two or three or four or five of these things where we know God has said to us by faith through the scriptures, this is what I want. Just be aware of this. Those who reject Jesus will be separated from him. So how can we gather in buildings and say, Jesus, we love you for 20 years, but we don't want to walk in obedience to the scriptures and call ourselves a Christian? How does that work? How do I gather in a building and say, yeah, Jesus, I love you. Thank you so much for the cross, but I will never allow the cross to instruct my lifestyle. Or only I choose the cross for the conveniences of my life. God, I, I know you love me, so I just want to be happy today because you love me. So let's go all the way back to Philippians chapter 1, 6. Verse 1, chapter <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 6, be confident in this very thing that he will begin a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. Will you, you go in the work with Jesus to allow you to complete what he wants in your life? He's not done with you yet. You're still alive. 
let me end with this, and then where life is going to come and close with a song this morning. You know that passage of Scripture in James where you talked about trials of various kinds? And I know all of you are in different scenarios. Some of you are in cancer. Some of you are, your families are walking in disobedience to the Scriptures. There's a lot of different things. And so what I'm going to share with you is nothing compared to those things. But I thought it was just really interesting how God got my attention, okay? So Wednesday night, so I, to, I told you a couple weeks ago it would be hysterical for you to watch our family kind of navigate life. So Wednesday night, I wake up about 1130, and there's like this haze in our living room. And I, and I can't figure out what it is, so I'm looking around. Finally, I wake up Seth and said, listen, something's going on in our house. I don't know what it is, but it's, something's burning. So we're looking around, and my, whatever, for whatever reason, the smoke detector didn't go off, so I'm going to have to get some different smoke detectors. But anyway, so he finally hears something goes, and I'm like, okay. So he's like, he's behind the refrigerator. So we roll the refrigerator out, and inside of Susan's refrigerator, she bought this gallon of milk. And so I lift up this gallon of milk, and there's milk everywhere. But there's a glass bottle of milk, and she bought it straight from... Um, the dairy. It's like $12.50 for a gallon of milk, okay? But it's active and it's living and it's alive and it's good for you, but it's $12.50. It's going to be a very expensive gallon of milk in here in just a second. Somehow this gallon of milk that's in this metal bottle has exploded and the bottom is off the metal bottle or the glass bottle, but there's milk everywhere in the refrigerator. And it just so happens that somehow out the back of my refrigerator, that milk is dripping right on the electrical circuit for the compressor. So we unplug it, we go to bed. Thursday, I'm going to go buy a refrigerator. So I go to, to, to wherever I go to buy a refrigerator. I buy a refrigerator, I put it on my trailer, I go home. I borrow the dolly, thinking, you know what? I drive my lawnmower up and down my trailer all the time, so I'm just going to go down the fridge goes that direction, I go that direction. So now I'm standing there with my new refrigerator, and I cannot close the freezer door. So I sit down on my trailer, tears in my eyes, thinking, you're such a knucklehead. So then I get out a hammer. And me and Hammers, you know. So eventually, I beat on some things. It doesn't really work. I make a lot of phone calls. Those phone calls do not help. So I pray, Lord, if there's some way for this freezer door to close, would you close it? It closes. I'm like, okay. So I got the refrigerator. In, in my house, that's a whole other story. Now I've got a brand new refrigerator in my house that's got nice dents on it. So my son, you know, he finds out about this. So he comes home. And this is, so I had left the house, went to the prison, come back to the house. I'm sitting at my house just watching TV. He walks up to me and says, you know what you probably need to do the next time? Ask for help. And then he says to me, it looks like, or mom tells me that it looks like the cat has attacked the refrigerator. 
So now I have a visual reminder of every time I walk over to the refrigerator that it's important to ask for help. But there's also some other neat things in that story that God has done that I had not thought about. That God maybe just said, you know what, I think I need to send this refrigerator that way and you that way because I want you to know that I'm still alive and that you need me. So here we are as a family. All of us have got dents and bruises. We probably all haven't been attacked by the cat. But we all have issues. Will you communicate with your father about the issues? Are you just going to be that fig tree that looks good, but there's no fruit? Are you going to be that individual that by faith, you know what, God, I'm going to come seek your face. I'm going to keep asking you for help, Father. I know I've got issues. I know I'm broken. Or are you going to be that individual this morning, kind of like the chief priests and the Pharisees, and say, you know what, I don't need you, God. Can I just tell you something? The person that rejects God, their lives get really, really bumpy. I'm not going to say be, are going to be destroyed, but just don't play games here. Don't sit in a building and think, yeah, everything's okay. When your father's saying, hey, I want to get your attention. So as Word of Life comes on a closing prayer, Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather around this morning. Thank you for your love for us, and thank you for scriptures. And so, Father, I pray you would take the scriptures and teach us that we would just open our hearts and minds up to really think about, okay, in Matthew chapter 21, am I the one that's being withered away? Am I the one that's playing games? Am I the one that just looks good? Or when you get close, you can find the fruits. You can find the Holy Spirit doing something in your life that you can't explain, that you can't produce. Can you find it? In the last six months, have you seen patience just show up or gentleness show up or self-control just show up? Can you see the harvest of it? Or maybe you're that one in here saying, you know what, I've written or I've read what it's been written. I don't need that stuff. I don't need a Bible. I don't need church. I don't need to be told what to do. I don't need all those rules. Maybe you don't love him. Maybe it's today's the day that you just humble yourself before him and say, okay, Father, I hear your voice and I'm going to surrender to you. So, Father, thank you for allowing us to gather as a family of worship. But may it not just be a gathering. Maybe a time that we said, you know what, we met with you, Father. And we need some things to really just spend some time thinking about what you want to do in our lives. It's your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?